0: This is Polyoptics, shining a light on the theater of politics. Now, from Washington, D.C., here's Adam Belmar.
1: Thanks for joining us as we pull back the curtain on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines. Polyoptics, the only show of its kind on the air today, and it's only on POTUS politics of the United States. This week, Muammar Gaddafi is killed, U.S. troops in Iraq are all coming home by the end of the year, and President Obama takes a road trip. We're joined by Brooke Brower, the producer of MSNBC's The Daily Rundown with Chuck Todd. He's also a member of the NBC political unit and a longtime DC television producer. Then we turn to former deputy national security advisor in the Bush administration, Mark Feifley, for insight and in polyoptics analysis of the breaking news on Iraq. But first, I'm joined by Josh King, co founder of the website polyoptics.com. Josh, of course, was production chief in the Clinton administration, the same role I played in the George W. Bush White House. Of course, today, Josh is across the pond coming to us from London. But as always, it's great to have you here.
2: London calling, Adam. Great to be with you. The home of Winston Churchill, of Big Ben, of the Tower of London, which is just steps away from where I am. I'm I'm reading the broadsheets, the tabloids. I'm watching the BBC and Channel 4. I'm soaking in British media, but I've still got my eye trained back in the united states
1: well you can't help it i mean it's your lifeblood and you know that uh, the politics around both the uh, presidential campaign of 2012 and the politics of the super committee and the the president's jobs act continue to rule the president's been out this week it's been quite a week
2: It has. And I think we've got a great set of of guests today lined up who watch every minute of it unfold. And while this might have been a week where I don't have my eye tuned exactly to the TV, we've got a great set of guests that uh, are going to tell us what's going on.
1: A very special Polyoptics episode today is a, a good old friend of mine, Brooke Brower, uh, is joining us here in studio in Washington. Brooke is the senior producer for MSNBC show The Daily Rundown with Chuck Todd, and he's also part of the NBC political unit and one of the authors of uh, one of the most read insider blogs in Washington called First Read. It's right up there with the political playbook, and anybody who's knows anything about politics needs to start their day by uh reading this but but brooke and i came to know each other when he was at abc news uh in the political unit there when mark halperin was still uh you know in charge of that unit uh but of course you also spent time at congressional quarterly and it's great to have you here brooke
3: it's great to be here thanks for having me uh
1: josh uh you know that uh, the first read is one of those those elements that people who are trying to set the agenda for the day or, or figure out where uh, politics is going every day start. But this this show, which is relatively new that you produce with Chuck Todd, uh, is, is really the insider's insider. It seems to me, Brooke, that that's kind of the conversation that uh, – we used to have inside network newsrooms the kind of guidance that you would get and share internally, and yet you guys have really turned it inside out and brought it forward for, uh, for the general public, and it's just incredibly well-received.
3: Well, that's very kind. Thank you. The show started a couple of years ago, uh, and at the time it was Chuck. Todd co-hosting with Savannah Guthrie. and as Right, we know, and that's
1: all I ever saw with Savannah. Who, who, who was Chuck Todd? Then? Whom we love. Know.
3: Savannah has gone on, to, now she's with the Today Show, and so we still, we in a strange way, we see Savannah on the air when we're on the air too, and so it's some overlap there, but uh, we wish Savannah the best and we miss her. And uh, So I came on board with the show this past summer, and uh, it is really just a fantastic show, I, we like to think, uh, full of politics, and we really, it's a lot of it is intertwined with what with what uh, first read is reporting every day it's kind of bridging together the output of what chuck and mark murray and domenico montanaro the great guys in the political unit what what they're cranking out every day and we try to get as much of that on the air as we can at 9 a.m monday through friday
2: brooke the the predecessors for chuck's role as nbc news senior white house correspondent people like brian williams andrea mitchell Mm -hmm. jim Miklaszewski, david gregory um, They didn't have the the sort of broad duties that a Chuck Todd does and we know that President Obama travels a lot So how do you sort of plan the show in advance when you have Chuck for instance following President Obama's bus tour through the midwest?
3: Well, it's always a work in progress as you suggest Chuck is frequently on the go and uh, we Try to try to grab him as much as we can to figure out what the schedule is going to be later in the week uh, Into the next week or even a month down the road uh Sometimes when, for instance, this past summer, Chuck did go on the road when the president went to Minnesota, Iowa, and Illinois on one of the first bus trips, and we, you know, in television, you kind of have to play it as it comes, and so in the week before, we were planning out where the stops could be, whether we could have guests with Chuck in the different locations. You got Jay Carney, right, one of those stops? We did, which was great for us, and so literally, you have to throw together a setup, and we you know, make it look pretty good and uh, on a, on a riverbank or wherever we are. And there's Chuck and Jay uh, at the crack of dawn because they're a couple hours behind us when we're on the air. Uh, and so, yeah, we get to do some pretty neat shots uh, by virtue of Chuck's responsibilities at the White House. And you see
2: that network correspondents and White House press secretaries actually wear blue jeans sometimes when they're on the road.
3: <laughs> that is true because the wide shot is a little more revealing when we're on the roads than, than when we're in studio.
1: You know, one of the things that uh, we talk about here at Polyoptics on on POTUS, uh, Channel 124, is the theater of politics uh, and the visual communications practices that uh, are implemented at the presidential level. There is, as you say, uh, a nexus between First Read and The Daily Rundown, but really it serves as a bridge for the public who are really interested in politics, because this is one of those places, one of those rare places every day where the best minds of NBC News are going to bring forward those visual elements that you probably didn't see or some of the sound that didn't make it into that night's package so you're really getting a a greater depth and a greater perception of of what is going on on the hustings if the president's out there or even uh within whatever day's political story if it's uh uh the 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 president of South Korea has come to Washington on a visit, you're going to get greater depth and much better visuals to appreciate what's going on with what you do. Do you feel like that's a big challenge to serve that audience in that way?
3: Well, we think that the audience, we we have different groups that we really want to make it an informative show for. Obviously, A lot of us are junkies, and we want the political junkies to really enjoy the show. So you try to feed them as much as you can pack into uh, just about an hour of programming. But we also have a a broader audience of people who are uh, getting up. You know, we're on at 9 in the morning, so it's people getting up, getting ready to go to work. We have to get some news of the day headlines in there. We have to tell people what's going on in the world. So we try to do a real... We hope sharp a balance between some of the inside stuff, whether it's uh, here's what's happening with some congressional district redistricting or let's look inside these poll numbers that uh, for a specific state that we didn't quite get to these specifics the other day, but here it is now. So we try to balance that kind of stuff with. Here's where the president's going to be today. Here's what uh, congressional leaders are uh, debating this day. We have to give some broad stroke stuff, too. So we hope it's a pretty good balance of all those things.
2: Because if on uh, nightly, Brian doesn't allow Chuck to fully wonk out, your 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. hour provides that opportunity, right?
3: We like to think so, uh, especially with things, and this is no surprise to you guys, and by the way, you're being very kind describing our show, as uh, we, we, we do the best we can, and we hope uh, everybody enjoys it, uh, but especially with things like poll numbers, we, Chuck, as you, no What's surprise to you, Chuck? is- Who is Chuck Todd? Who is Chuck Todd? <laughs> Chuck Todd, host of Daily Rundown and political director of NBC News. Uh, he is loves to be able to dig into those poll numbers that we get from the Wall Street Journal NBC News poll. Uh, in the last few weeks, we've had a, just this past week, we had another round of NBC News uh, Marist College polls of specific states. And like you said, Josh, it, it's what we're able to deliver on the Today Show or, or Nightly News in a couple of minutes. Here we get a solid 10 minutes almost of a segment to really, really chew on this stuff and have fun with it with multiple guests and really try to give people a little more than they might have gotten already. He's
1: on every morning. He's on every day. He's on every night. He's traveling. Uh, It's remarkable that you all, in this one manner, have somebody who can continue to follow the frenetic pace of a White House in the bouncing ball of politics in Washington. Um, How do you keep up with him? (laughs)
3: <laughs> Sometimes I'd have to chase him down the hall, really. If he's on his way from one shot to moving on, he's got to get down to the White House. Uh, it's, I think, and I, th- I would think Chuck is probably the first to say that the way we all make it work together is that we're all very lucky to have many, many good colleagues. And it's a very strong bureau, whether it's the folks that work on our show specifically or it's the White House team or it's the folks from the different network shows, Today Show uh, Nightly News. You know, we are all working together to figure out what the schedule is going to be, what story can can uh, be reported on multiple platforms, and how can we do it differently with different platforms, and it just it really it really uh, it's a giant team effort. Brooke, how
2: does i mean at what time does the alarm go off for for you and and how does how do you create the first read and and what goes into the production process? And also sort of what did a guy from University of Virginia and your upbringing in Delaware in how did how did your past inform the type of junkie that you are today?
3: Wow, that's a lot. I'll start with the uh, I love it, but that's a lot. we'll start with the process in the morning. I'm up a little after five. It's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, some people certainly wake up earlier than that. Uh, and uh, the, the there, there's some multiple things happening in the morning. I, I have to give full credit that Mark and Domenico in our political unit, Mark Murray, Domenico Montanaro, great reporters, great colleagues, they they are the primary folks driving the the written product of first read. Now in our in our show, in daily rundown, we also have at the top of the show, Something called first read as well, which is usually taking those lead uh, bullet news, political news points from the written document and putting it into TV form for our show. So we kind of all work together to figure out through Chuck and, and, and sort of running conversation in the morning with the folks on our show what that's going to be, what can we show visually. So it's it's really again another another daily huge collaborative effort in the morning, and it all you know it's it's a lot, you know for, even though we're up a little after five we're going on the air at nine. So, you know, some shows on TV that aren't on until the evening, they have a little more time to get ready during the day. Now, granted, we'll do a lot the day before, but it's, it's a little bit of a race in the morning. So, but we, we, uh, I think we make it work now back to me. Uh, you know, I've always thought that growing up in Delaware is, is, uh, maybe I'm a little, uh, a little, a little sentimental about it, but yeah, everybody likes where they're from, right? So I think that there was a very interesting kind of politics that I grew up in, almost unknowingly. We we only had really a few politicians the whole time I was growing up in the eighties and nineties. What's
1: that guy's name? Bi- Biden? B- uh, was he?
3: That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. And and in full uh, disclosure, that was actually my my very first job out of college was uh, working on the hill for then Senator Biden, and that was because. I had never interned on the Hill or anything and coming out of college I said you know I think I want to I'm into politics I want to go see what's so I applied to our massive congressional delegation of all three offices and uh, Senator Biden happened to be the one uh, hiring at the time and we also had uh, Congressman Castle uh, Mike Castle and uh, the late Senator Bill Roth was there at the time they're both Republicans obviously uh, Biden's a Democrat and that was my mentality was not I want to get into politics and work for one side or the other it was I want to go work for the home state and see what I can learn on Capitol Hill, and and it really was a tremendous, uh, ex- it's a tremendous educational experience. I think to work on Capitol Hill, and while I was there, that experience helped me realize more and more, you know, this is great. I think I might enjoy even more covering it and 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 understanding it even better instead of actually being in it. So that's eventually how I, I ended up where I am. But Delaware is a really I have to say, it's just it's it's really unusual. It's not there's not a lot of partisan ideological fight. I mean, it's mostly about schools and 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 the environment and 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 things like that. And, and tolls and, and credit card fees. Well, that is and all you know. In short well, of you know, sure. the
1: twenty ten uh, Senate race, I don't think people yeah. had really focused yeah. uh, on Delaware forever. Had you, this... had, you had the senator from Delaware, right. who you, you might as well only have had one uh, in, in, in Joe Biden because he was such a powerful force yeah. in the United States Senate and a hometown guy who traveled back and forth on the Amtrak train yeah. uh, every day and it was storied and... Uh, you know, it's 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 a very interesting the first state of the nation.
3: That's true. And if you guys don't know about it, it's something that you'd love. You know, after every election in Delaware, they have uh, a thing they call Return Day, where the candidates, the winners and losers, literally ride in an open uh, uh, parade uh, together, and and they literally bury the hatchet. You know, uh, after the election has happened. So it's just, uh, culturally, I, I think it's kind of a nice thing, and I I think that really. Now, granted, I could be, I'm putting a little rose-colored glasses on here, but uh, there's certainly some fights going on. But I think on the whole, that's really kind of what shaped my my perspective on politics growing up.
1: Let's turn the page for a second and talk about uh, the, the political um, reality that we face right now. President Obama is out there uh, on almost a daily basis, one way, shape, or form, trying to get his jobs bill passed. And it, it stands in stark contrast to what's going on on the Republican presidential candidate's field, uh, which is uh, punctuated by uh, this litany of debates, which NBC News has been a part of. Um, right. How do you perceive uh, President Obama? And, and I'm not looking for your, your, your opinion so much as your professional assessment. Is there enough differentiation? Is there enough... Um, visual reinforcement of what it means on his part to get this jobs bill passed and are they firing in all cylinders or as the conventional wisdom in dc right now is that this gang just can't shoot
3: straight well i think it has obviously proven so far to be a tough and complicated debate uh you know was he going forward here if well, we saw him this
1: week on another one of these bus tours, yes, right?
3: Right, and I, I mean, and 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 while we're covering it, we're all looking at it as okay. Well, he has a policy message that he's trying to get across here, but it's also taking place in states that are going to be part of the 2012 strategy. So everything is intertwined. Every day we get closer to January first, two thousand twelve. Everything becomes more mashed together well, see
1: that's the point Josh King that I that I was hoping to get from Brooke This idea that he was starting this bus tour in North Carolina He's coming up through southern Virginia And we're gonna spend some time a little bit later in this episode of poly optics trying to dissect this bus tour, but the optics were okay but they were only okay to my mind until you took a deeper dive into the local coverage and there was a lot of driving through counties where you didn't stop and the the story was much much worse And the politics focused through the lens of the reelect seemed to be guiding things a lot more uh, i don't know if you perceive that josh
2: well you know i i i would i would ask brooke or if chuck were having a microphone i'd ask chuck and i'd get an instantaneous response how many electoral votes are at stake in north carolina and virginia and what uh, factor will that play in the 270 that Obama has to get? Because, you know, my eyes were trained, honestly, here in London this week. Uh, I couldn't watch MSNBC because of this uh, uh, hotel that I'm staying at and only gets the BBC and uh, Channel 4. We have to get somebody on that. But uh, I know, we, we really do. Um, and, you know, CNN International is just so bad. Uh, anyway, so, but I, I, I stayed focused on the local papers in... Uh, North Carolina and Virginia the Charlotte Observer the Asheville papers um, uh, all of the all of the people that actually sent their own photographers local news that followed President Obama and as much as we kind of think we're in the middle of the uh, of the political discourse by watching MSNBC and Chuck uh, and the rest of the cable world coming from Washington and New York it uh, they spent a lot of money bringing Air Force One and the new Secret Service bus down to those states and by golly they got a lot of coverage out of it and the editorials that were written were saying that we're glad Mr. President that you chose Asheville as the first place to try and uh, really communicate about your jobs act so it is this battle for local press in these battleground states and despite what Chuck says uh, in his remotes or on the North Lawn, uh, this is going to be decided state by state, electoral vote by electoral vote. And we'd love to look at national poll numbers. Um, and and we've talked, Adam, about the way the White House is, you know, a little sort of stiff in the way they produce events and put up big American job Act's backdrops. But when you actually assign a local photographer to follow the president making a, his first ever visit to Asheville, it is a big deal. And that's the way it's playing in local press.
1: I love Josh King. You're absolutely right. Go ahead, Brooke.
3: Well, I was just going to add everything Josh is saying is right and that the, the we've seen and you guys know this from your time in, in administrations that it 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 keeps that part of things keeps growing and we see this this administration does a lot of Uh, one-on-one interviews with correspondents and anchors from local stations. And they come to Washington to do the interview so that, so they have a, an exclusive and then they can go back home to wherever it's the station in Miami, Florida, or it's the station in uh, Richmond, Virginia or wherever it is. Right. And I don't know if they've done that one, but I'm just using an example, but they, they get these, they get these interviews and, and, and the local markets can just play it up really, really big. So it's, if, if it's an effective messaging, uh, strategy for the for the administration and certainly for a a re-election campaign
2: we've been focusing on this on what happens in a local market brook but obviously a a presidential election a re-elect of the incumbent president has to focus on the national story and once in a while in the cycle maybe a couple times in a cycle uh, the president has to has to uh, make visits to the to the late night shows uh Letterman and Leno and uh, and the others. And we see that that they've announced that next week uh, he will do The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, which, you know, broadcasts from 1130 to 1230 on the East Coast. Is this a great opportunity for the Daily Rundown to sort of watch it closely and be the first source to, to break it down and how he's how President Obama sort of reacts now and does a little comedy and shows the lighter side of of his presence?
3: Well, I can pretty much guarantee you'll see if you, if you can't stay awake to watch Jay that night, you will certainly see a couple of bites on it on Daily Rundown uh, the next day at 9 a.m. And I think that... That's another part of it. I believe this is the second time yes, that it's he's the second time a, as, president, as president
1: that he's uh, uh, joining the show.
3: And it just goes to show that how things keep changing more and more in terms of, of, of getting a, a message out and, yep. and, and, and having yourself as as the president, but also as a candidate. You know, you, you have to hit these different forums, whether it's, I mean, I believe the vice president not very long ago was on The View just within the last the few The president weeks.
1: and the president have hit that uh, they, They've both uh, that
3: gone show. there, but there's so many, there's so many outlets where... It it is it isn't just that appearance on that show, but it's also knowing that any number of other media outlets are going to take a soundbite from there to say, "Oh, hey, did you see this person?" Well, I, there? to
1: my mind, that just sort of speaks to one of the the reasons why we really wanted to have you on the show today uh because this conversation that you engage in that, that you're a part of with chuck todd and the daily rundown on msnbc uh every day is this conversation that used to as i said at the beginning go on so often internally within news organizations or within a very small community in washington and now people realize this has great value for Americans on a, on a broad basis. And then the white house appreciates that even within the community and the, the great opportunities for interviews that they might have that getting outside or over the head of the filter, as, as president Bush used to say, and, and engaging in local media interviews, being on different types of shows, president Clinton famously, uh, really sort of broached this with, uh, his Arsenio hall, uh, Interview and playing the sax and just being out there in a, in a very everyman kind of way and people understood suddenly, hey, this is somebody that I think I'd like to have a beer with. This is a cool guy.
3: And don't forget the MTV forum, too. Of course,
1: He's right. And, yes. and Josh's... Boxers
2: or briefs. <laughs>
1: boxers or briefs. Um, ultimately, though, I, I wonder... If all of this, which I think they're doing very well in, 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 in certain uh, instances, to my mind, Brooke, it stands in stark contrast to the fact that just in the last week, the president, in a very thin-skinned way, to my mind, decided to take on uh, Ed Henry, a former uh, CNN White House correspondent, now he's with Fox News, and accused him of carrying Mitt Romney's water uh, in, in questioning him in a presidential press conference. You can have that opinion uh, if you're the president of the United States, and I'll say, as a former deputy communications director of the White House, I would, uh, I, I froze up when when he decided to verbalize it and and just personalize it and attack Ed, but it seemed very thin-skinned. I mean, the president likes to go on for half an hour if he wants to to answer a question, but he can bristle pretty hard at uh, some of the tough questions if they're not couched in just the right way. Do you feel that? I mean, you read all the transcripts. You see what's going on behind the scenes. What's your take on that?
3: Well, I would say that I think that was an instance where we uh, something we're going to see a lot more of, of, of sort of the, the office of the presidency intersecting with the campaign that's ahead. Right, that's so, what I'm talking and, about. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, in terms of how it came across, I think that uh, some people might have seen that and chuckled. Some others might have said, oh, he's being tough on Ed. I mean, I think that... Ed Henry is certainly a well-respected guy in, in our business, and... Uh
1: the, the, the press is always going to be carrying somebody else's water to the extent that tough questions are being posed from many different quarters, um, and, and sometimes those attacks... Uh and, and and I think sometimes they really are attacks. They're not necessarily solid, substantive questions, Josh King. But well, they are looking for a response. And if you can't ask that question, you need a vehicle to ask that know. question. And Sam Donaldson and a whole lot of other people have made careers. And lo- Lord knows, David Gregory... Was about as sharp a stick in the White House briefing room as as, as there has been in the last decade.
2: But you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated for Brooks' opinion on this because you and I have talked about this rift that I'm about to repeat again, which is Michelle Bachmann. God bless her, uh, had a moment in the sun as the candidate du jour uh, earlier this year, and she went to Iowa, where I think she was born, and she. Proclaimed the uh, a place that she visited as the home of John Wayne when it was in fact the home of John Wayne Gacy and <laughs> and, and everyone pounced on her in in Joe and Mika's show I don't know what they did on Chuck's show but it became oh my God she's unfit to be president because she she forgot the extra name uh, of the serial killer whose uh, whose home that was now I, I just think that was sort of an unfair pounce on Representative Bachman much less so was sort of David Gregory's uh, inquisition of Herman Cain a week ago when uh, Herman Cain pretty much showed that he didn't know what a neoconservative was and that showed and he sort of pressed him and gave Cain a chance to 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 dig himself out of that hole but when you when all of us tend to pounce on President Obama because he quips that Ed Henry might sort of be in, in in the pocket of the Romney camp, which I don't think he is, but he sort of spouted what the Romney talking point might be. It was all it was actually kind of a softball for President Obama to, to whack on. Instead he made kind of a dumb quick a dumb quip, but we all kind of pounce on him like we pounced on Representative Bachman. I'm all for pouncing on candidates when they substantively don't get it. But when they sort of have a verbal lapse, I don't think it's fair.
3: I think that we we are in a business, and we are in uh, the the substance of what our business covers. It moves at such a fast pace these days, and that's somewhat cliche to say. But I think that these moments of of an exchange between two people, or uh, or uh, one person uh, quipping back at another. It, it doesn't surprise me that it gets a lot of play. It gets it's on it's on websites. It's it then ends up on various different TV outlets. I, I but does that I,
1: snowball effect force you guys to do it? I, I mean, think don't, we make don't you take a step we back make some choices. Say, hey, you know, what, let's put this in a little bit of perspective here.
3: I think we try to do that with everything. I think that every day on our show we are making choices about what things to focus on and whether there's uh, as Josh was suggesting whether there's something actually substantively to to hash out or whether something is just one of those moments and let's watch it again and what do we think is is that going to have any long lasting effect I, I feel like we do that all the time whether it's something that's that's uh the, overtly confrontational as like some of the moments we saw in the debate the other night, or whether it's sort of a, a, a zinger from one person to another, you know, these, the, we live, as you guys know, politics, it, it, it is a collection of moments like that. And that's, that's what we see. It's, it's this narrative of all these things strung together. And so there are going to be moments here and there that the last campaign was all about certain moments, you know, of, of what somebody said to somebody else. And uh, I think we, I think that that is just part of what we do.
1: You would uh, never know Brooke Brower if you were outside of Washington, D.C. and not inside uh, the political community, but we, we've we had him here on Polyoptics today because he's somebody that you should know and you should hear from. He's one of the minds and the writers and the thinkers behind what we see and how we appreciate American politics. We're really lucky to have you here my friend thank you for the work that you do we love the show daily rundown on msnbc commend it to everybody and you know what if you're listening to us on SiriusXM's potus channel 124 and you've never checked out the first read you need to that's what we read that's what we look to and uh you know it's not easy to keep that uh cadence of of great reporting going and uh, thank you for being on polyoptics thank you very much for
3: having me it's a lot of fun
1: A lot of big news at the end of the week coming out of Washington with late word on Friday from the President of the United States that all U.S. troops will be out of Iraq by the end of the year. That's right, all American troops. Well, how did that come to be, and what are the optics for the United States? We're joined now by uh, a good friend of mine, a former Deputy Assistant to the President and Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications and Global Outreach in the Bush administration, Mark Fifley. Welcome to
0: Polioptics. The longest title. At the White House, you just read.
1: I thought I had a long, I, obscure it, it, title. It, just,
0: it goes and goes and goes. I needed a business card about the size of a billboard.
3: But or yes.
1: you needed glasses to see the very <laughs> tiny font on that. But we, we really appreciate you coming in to be with us on Polyoptics here on POTUS, uh, Channel 124 today. Because as we think about foreign policy, which is something we don't spend a great deal of time, nor has this White House, for all intents and purposes, uh, paid close attention to, at least in a public way... The announcement on Friday was really quite important, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was. And there are going to be a lot of people hopefully getting a good night rest after the last 24 hours at the White House. You have uh, Qaddafi being killed, and then right away you turn around with with a big statement at the White House from the president announcing this new status of forces agreement.
4: A few hours ago I spoke with Iraqi Prime Minister Maliki. I reaffirmed that the United States keeps its commitments. He spoke of the determination of the Iraqi people to forge their own future. We are in full agreement about how to move forward. So today, I can report that, as promised, the rest of our troops in Iraq will come home by the end of the year.
1: Mark Feifley, uh, part of the National Security Council uh, in a former life, somebody who's dealt with national security issues and spent uh, some time in Baghdad. Uh, this was an announcement that must have been in the works
0: for quite some time, right? Yeah, it definitely is. There are a lot of negotiators behind the scenes that are working both out of out of the White House, the State Department, DOD and in the country with the ambassador to Iraq where they're trying to work with the Iraqi parliament with the Iraqi leadership to come up with a with with an agreement that we can all live with
1: but on the face of it coming just a day after the uh, capture and killing of Muammar Gaddafi uh, in his hometown of Sirte in Libya against the backdrop of an unscheduled trip by the US Secretary of State to Tripoli uh to show camaraderie and partnership with the interim government there it kind of feels like the White House moved very quickly to the podium here to capitalize upon um, some momentum. You were in charge of communications for the deputy, I mean, for the National Security Council in this realm. What's your sense? Was this? You said it was it's something that would be baking for a long time. It was fully baked by the time they rushed it
0: out of the kitchen. Yeah, I believe so. I, uh, there's just so many uh, I's that need to be dotted and T's that need to be crossed in this type of uh, of, of an endeavor that it, this is ongoing. The actual announcement time, as well, takes a little bit of time to set up because you've got to find a time when Prime Minister Maliki is available and he is at a video screen so you can so you can do so that. So the two movement. men were face to face then before yeah. this happened. Yeah, they were likely they were in the in the in the Situation Room and the president goes in there with his with his national security team, and they do a, a video conference live secure uh, so that nobody else can see it uh, from the situation room, finish that, and then go straight to make the announcement. What's going on on the other side? Do they have that kind of
1: capability uh, within parliament or the president's office? Do they have to bring him
0: into a U.S. facility? You're familiar with, yeah. with how that may have played out in, in Baghdad. In, in our time... We had it set up in the embassy, and this this was the old embassy at that time, before the new embassy, which is a, a huge operation into itself, was set up. So the prime minister would have to travel from one place to the other. They may have it now where they have something set up with an Iraqi um, uh, uh, situation room as well at this point. So that essentially there is a secure phone that the president has and the prime minister has and a secure video uplink, too, that you can activate in a moment's notice if there's a crisis at hand or if you're just doing a regular meeting between the two governments
1: now we talk about the optics of this because this is on the world stage it 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 says a lot uh, through the political lens which I want to get to in in just a few minutes here in the United States with uh, the sort of rule of three we've had Osama bin Laden Muammar Gaddafi and now here we are with the the full uh, exit strategy of the US military but from a substantive perspective, uh, there's this this term, it's called for status of forces agreement. You were really at the center of putting that framework together and helping to communicate metrics and, and what the plan would be back at the end of the Bush administration. Is this framework that, yeah. that ultimately was codified today? Is it the same
0: framework? It it was set up uh, moments before uh, we left the White House, the the Bush appointees did. And it was set up in a difficult time because there was ongoing uh, national elections back here in 2008. And then the transition of power from the bush administration to the obama administration this was one thing this this agreement was something that we left for them and actually we worked quite closely with the uh, obama national security folks or the people that would probably be his national security team in having a dialogue uh, with them as we were moving forward, to make sure that they were in an okay, comfortable place. It was kind of a it's a, a in in many cases, even though Iraq has been a partisan thing. this was very apolitical. this was an apolitical thing. We need to do it. We need to get it done because for the good of the country and the good of of the region, that we need to leave it in a good place so that it can it can uh, continue and move on. Well, originally, if if people remember the discussion
1: around the disposition of American troops, was that we were aiming for, and, and as recently as the last month, the brand-new uh, Secretary of Defense, Leon Panetta, had said that he thought it was really important that we leave some three to 5,000 troops behind, mostly in a training capacity. We know our combat troops largely withdrawn. Uh, they, Some say completely, I'll say largely. But uh, talk to us for a second about this net-net result of no troops at
0: all. They basically said, get the hell out. They said it's, it's now we're going to take over. And it, it will be a challenging time because there are still some remnants of, of al-Qaeda. Uh, we know that Iran has a significant influence. They, they share a common border, common uh, language, uh, religion, uh, all sorts of things. And we know that Iran is, ob- is obviously is not a friend of ours by any stretch of the imagination. So we have the Iranians who were, from an optic standpoint really controlling a lot of things by setting off uh, improvised explosive devices, as was al-Qaeda, and the challenge is without that security force from the U.S. there to provide some degree of of security for the area, that they could change the optics by having a large explosion, creating chaos, and that, that is an enormous challenge. Now the question is, have we, as the U.S. and, and our allies, have we trained up these Iraqi security forces To the point where they can protect their own people, they have been doing a much better job as of late, but now without the U.S. forces there to provide logistics, help, support, um, a a kind of a back-channel type of of effectiveness, will will these other countries and uh, forces and radical elements take over?
1: Uh, you're listening, of course, to Polyoptics uh, here on POTUS, Channel 124. We're speaking with Mark Fifele, a former deputy assistant to the President of the United States and deputy national security advisor, about the Polyoptics elements of this transition in our foreign policy, the extrication of our troops from Iraq. But the administration, Mark, uh, really has been focused on Afghanistan of late. I mean, obviously, the Osama bin Laden element, but tangential to that is the U.S. relationship with Pakistan, the drone strikes that have become so prevalent and have been a large part of our success in trying to knock off leadership of al-Qaeda, both there and down in Yemen and in other places. What does this say uh, for um, the, the U.S. political Uh, disposition as far as 2012. The president is certainly saying, hey, I'm making good on a promise I made three years ago. And boy, it must feel good for this White House to be
0: able to come in at this point and change that conversation. Absolutely. It is a very, very good time for foreign policy. And, And I say that with the caveats that, yes, you have this Iranian plot which was just broken up, where they, where the they Iranian government they want to out the U.S. ambassador the, from Saudi Arabia, right, the Saudi the, Arabian ambassador to the U.S. Right? Supposedly, there, there are allegedly there are elements of the Kudz force, which is the secret police or uh, the, the clandestine elements of the Iranian government, okay. were working with a agent of theirs uh, to uh, hire uh, Mexican uh, drug lords, essentially, to go in and kill the ambassador uh, to the U.S. from Saudi Arabia and do some other things. Uh, potentially very, very dastardly things like that. Plus, you have the question of Afghanistan. Now, like we were talking about threes, you have Osama bin Laden dead, Gaddafi dead, Iraq, Iraq, we are fulfilling our commitment, so uh, we are removing the troops. So we have three good stories. Now, when, from an optical standpoint, when, when bin Laden was killed, there was a little bit of a bump for the president. Now, if we have these three things that have happened, will that allow the president some breathing room as he continues to talk about the economy, continues to talk about his jobs bill that's before Congress? can he get some momentum, use this from a momentum standpoint to get some more things done? I would submit that the president
1: had a very good week this week on this bus tour. I think any time you can yell road trip and get out of the White House, it, it obviously frees up a little space and room for the foreign policy and national security folks, of which you used to be one to do the job that they have to do. But the president was was out there working on trying to sell uh, his policies to get Americans back to work. It's a tough sell because we know on the substance Event that it just didn't pan out very well for him this week in washington in the senate but there were some really wonderful pictures and uh, the president at his best uh with with folks who are certainly on hard times with educators uh down in north carolina and virginia but somehow on friday to ter- take all of that goodness from the week and then turn the page take this left turn towards foreign
0: policy completely unexpected i think in washington this week it, it was a surprise i think the president had a good week also because the last time he went on a bus tour i think through the midwest was before he had announced his job plan so he was he was going out but he didn't have a something to, to hook onto and say this is what i'm for now they have good foreign policy stories to talk about plus they have an actual jobs bill which they're trying to move through the congress things from a optical sense are pretty good right now despite the unemployment and, and some of the other challenges that the president still has to deal with
1: let's let's sort of take a, a walk backwards to the Bush administration where both of uh, of us served uh, in the in the final two years of the administration throughout 07 08 um, on the, on the back of the surge. Uh, President Bush had a microphone that was really diminishing. His credibility was starting to go. The the, the other issues uh, of fiscal uh, crisis were starting to emerge. But talk a little bit about how the surrogates in the communications operation are forced to get out there and, and, and make the message resonate. Because it's not just with the world, it's also with the United States Congress. And and I assume the President of the United States now, Barack Obama, is kind of suffering from some of the same uh,
0: challenges. Yeah, we had an enormous challenge in the end of 2006, the first part of 2007, through the, the entire administration, as we were announcing the surge. You remember, back in the, the first part of 07, majority of the people, majority of the Congress would have said, get the troops out right now. And the President you know, very boldly, and I think that this week it paid off, was increased increase the amount of troops that were there, increase the amount of diplomatic uh, work that you're doing, increase the amount of, of uh, civil servants that are out with these PRTs, the Provincial uh, Reconstruction Units that were set up across the country. And we saw that the president was, was giving speeches and talking about it, and after he had announced a surge, he had more things to talk about, because we had new metrics that we could talk about, what we were doing, why we were doing it. Um, but Because he was not seen as a credible source for that information, you then saw ambassador to Iraq, Ryan Crocker, who's now our ambassador to Afghanistan, uh, General David Petraeus. uh, Many of the commanders and the diplomats on the ground became the spokespeople because they were actually there. They were actually experiencing, working. could give a first-hand perspective that we couldn't from sitting in the in the White House at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue so that was our strategy and we moved it forward we also talked to different elements of the media we had figured you the White House press corps at that point was not going to be supportive in a way of helping us get our message out so we engaged at one point we did the first briefing ever with military blogs, and we did a big blogger meeting in the in the Roosevelt Room where we brought in all the military blogs from across the country either in person or via a video conference and we talked to them and we partnered with them to get our information out you know in 2001
1: uh... right at 9-11 uh... i was uh, a young producer at ABC News. I was working at Good Morning America. In the years to come, I took over the Washington Bureau of Good Morning America. Uh, but the the things that we worked on, me personally, the team that I managed, was trying to humanize and tell the stories of our men and women in uniform who were deploying. Now, this was at the beginning this was Operation Enduring Freedom. This was before we got into Iraq in March of 2003. But really it was a story about men and women pushing out again into hostile areas, hitting the front lines, and being in harm's way. And over the the, the, the intervening 10 years... Uh, A lot of those stories have fallen away. We know we've had a ton of deployments, folks who have been deployed four, five, six times, National Guard units that are are so stretched thin that they can't do any service uh, to their home states because they've been deployed in in all manner of of ways and places. The point I'm making by bringing this up is I think we're going to have a resurgence uh, in a polyoptics way with the media of greeting our troops and seeing them come home for the holidays. The President of the United States alluded to that on Friday.
4: Here at home, the coming months will be another season of homecomings. Across America, our servicemen and women will be reunited with their families. Today I can say that our troops in Iraq will definitely be home for the holidays.
1: The Commander-in-Chief is going to obviously be playing a large role to welcome our, our newest veterans home. But from the National Security Council perspective, they're targets on the way out the
0: door, aren't they, Mark? Oh, in some ways, yeah. I think that uh, the, the challenge that we'll have, is what the president normally does, and I think this president does as well, is you know, every holiday you call a member of each of the, the service branches. So there, there's there's kind of a of a of a of an outreach component, but this will give the opportunity for the president to potentially meet the last brigade that comes back at the airport as as, as they return uh, to do some sort of a holiday event at the White House with the return with the returning troops and their families from Iraq that gives a, an enormous amount of opportunities but yes also some difficult challenges because uh, as they do come back uh, there could be some bad stories that happen that this white house and the, and and the uh, executive branch has to deal with
1: i i seem to uh think that the the media especially the network morning shows the cables are going to do a lot of reunion stories it's going to be and it should be it's a wonderful mm-hmm. time To appreciate our men and women who have served uh, and and sometimes given that ultimate sacrifice obviously we've had uh, a great deal of dead and wounded more Mm -hmm. more wounded in these two conflicts than we've probably ever had if only because people who would have otherwise died on the battlefield because of uh, the gravity of their wounds are being tended to with first-class medical care and evacuated Mm -hmm. out of uh, out of the theater Uh, but when you think about managing this, this is really going to be quite an interesting uh, challenge for the new Secretary of Defense and the rest of the, the folks, including ambassadors, to to make this something that's positive and not exploitive, right?
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and the holidays give that opportunity. We've got Veterans Day coming up on November 11th, so there will be a lot of opportunities for the networks and the cables and all the media to do some of these stories of returning home, of the real challenges that the wounded warriors ha- are still having today and will have for a very long time that are coming back a lot of the charitable organizations that are helping them uh, the veteran service organizations and others will have a large voice to be able to tell the stories about what they're doing
1: you know we just saw a belated uh, uh, inaugural or, or commemoration uh, of the new Martin Luther King uh, statue on the mall. I know you're involved in a project with the veterans of Vietnam to to put together an education center right there on the mall near the Vietnam wall. This is the kind of thing that, that keeps Americans
0: invested in supporting our veterans. Yeah, that's right. It's the, the education center, which will be between the Lincoln Memorial and the Vietnam Veterans Wall. And it will Tell the stories of the 58,272 people that died in Vietnam, and also tell the stories of all of our battles from Bunker Hill to Baghdad. And it gives an, an enormous opportunity for people to get involved. We have a call for photos, where we're trying to get photos of every fallen soldier in uh, in in uh, Vietnam, and we're about 21,000 right now. We're trying to get all 58,000. So, an enormous uh, product. And from a, from a visual standpoint, we're doing a partnership with the History Channel. Mm. They're doing a show called Vietnam in HD, and we're doing a telethon on Veterans Day, too, which we're putting online.
1: That's a, a great charity that you're working with. I want to ask you to help our listeners, Mark Feifley, uh, former Deputy uh, National Security Advisor to President George W. Bush, as we think about this really important milestone in what has been a 10-year, almost 8-year conflict uh, in, in Iraq, an ongoing one in Afghanistan. All our troops will come home, but we are still vested with, an, I mean, thousands of Americans uh, in the diplomatic uh, front who are in, in Iraq. And talk to us about that that uh, presence, I think the, the U.S. Embassy in Iraq is the
0: largest in the world. Yeah, it, it is enormous, it is, it is a huge building, it's a city. A a bunker city is what it is, and there are hundreds of diplomats, hundreds and hundreds of diplomats. Uh, You have uh, individuals from the uh, uh, State Department who are living in a war zone and who will remain there. And I hope that's a story that is not forgotten, is they are making a huge sacrifice uh, in their families and they have an enormous amount of work, and they don't have the military partners that they historically have had in in Iraq and that, for example, in Afghanistan, where you still have. Uh, a military and civilian component. Now, this ambassador uh, to Iraq is going to be an extremely busy individual over the next several months and years. You know, uh,
1: I mentioned earlier that uh, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton made an unannounced visit to Tripoli, uh, which is really quite something that we could be there, uh, that it coincided with this battle that finally ended in Sirte, uh, Gaddafi's hometown, and obviously, as we know now, uh, culminated in his death. Um, she is fighting back home uh, members of her own party. Uh, we all know what the, the fiscal backdrop is for our nation, but they're looking to cut an enormous amount of money out of the State Department budget, just as they are out of DOD, more at DOD. But she's got uh, a polyoptics issue there as well, because Americans don't really appreciate what a huge mission exists and will
0: continue to persist in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. And that will be a challenge for uh, Secretary Clinton over the next several months, an enormous one, and, and a story that she's going to have to tell and really get out there and talk about the importance from a national security standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, from a global uh, position of, you know, we are in a global economy. And we have enemies that are, that are attempting to take us down, and that is why we're spending this money. We're not spending it because necessarily because we have big hearts, although we do, and we are doing a lot of things from a, from a standpoint of, for goodwill. But as well, we're trying to work with other governments and, and countries and their people, gain, gain their trust, or at least gain so that they're not uh, fomenting uh, uh, radicals. And that is an expensive proposition. It's a very expensive proposition. And so the First Lady is going to have to look for venues in which she can talk about this. The First Lady? yeah, The the, The former First Lady. The former First Lady. (laughs) She's dual
1: hatted She's the Secretary of State now. But listen, a final question for you here on polyoptics. Uh, You're a communicator. You are also somebody who's uh, deeply invested in the national security elements of our country. Uh, as you look forward to what the next steps may be uh, from a communication standpoint, what is it Afghanistan,
0: how do they dovetail yeah, this? I, you know, as we know, the press is now going to look what's the next thing. Yeah, and there's two places to go. One is this plot that the Iranians were allegedly attempting to do in our country will continue to unfold in the justice system. That is going to be something that they're going to be uh, the press is going to focus on a lot and as as more information comes out secondly is afghanistan uh, it continues to be an enormous long-term challenge which is going to cost a lot of money and more us uh, more us lives so even the the president will have an opportunity to talk about his commitments and his the things that he's that he said he'd do and he achieved but at the same time the press is going to pivot now to the enormous problem with iran and the challenges of afghanistan
1: Well, as I I, I think about it, uh, President Obama has had uh, a win from a... Public relations perspective, clearly uh, a lot of uh, U.S. foreign policy culminating across two administrations with this huge announcement this week. Uh, and glad to know that while some would be so cynical as to think that this thing wasn't fully baked, we didn't get everything we wanted. We know that. This negotiation didn't go the way that some of our top leaders wanted. But having said that, it's going to lead to normalized relations. Americans are coming home, this is a good news story, and you've really helped put it in perspective and give us a sense of how it played out. I want to thank you for joining us, Mark Fifley on PolyOptics. Two phenomenal interviews here on PolyOptics this week. Uh, Brooke Brower from NBC News and Mark Feifley, uh, former Deputy National Security Advisor in the Bush Administration. Breaking news at the end of the week, all dealt with here on polyoptics what comes next for the president of the united states as he deals with foreign policy issues and his job one which is getting americans back to work we will be back next week with a very special show josh king will continue his across the pond appearance here on polyoptics you can find us at polyoptics.com and uh, we will see you next week here on potus channel 124